Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Coming out, coming to faith, and what came next? Rachel Gilson never expected to become a Christian, but she encountered a God she couldn't dismiss or ignore. Now she's telling her story and inviting us to a fresh and freeing understanding in her brand new book, Born Again This Way. Coming out, coming to faith, and what comes next? Rachel serves on the leadership team at Crew, and her writings appeared in Christianity Today, Desiring God, and the Gospel Coalition. What a treat to have you here today, Rachel. Welcome aboard. How are things going today for you? It's, it's treating me okay. I've got my homebrew hand sanitizer and my daughter's at home, so we're doing great. All right, excellent. Well, to really set this up, before we dig into your story, I noticed in the conversation about your book this statistic, which really caught me off guard. I think the number many of us may have heard is the 4.5% number. I that's one of the latest estimates of how many Americans identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. But you point to other surveys that are more anonymous and private that point to around 10% of Americans saying they've experienced some level of same-sex attraction. So I took that number to say this issue, this conversation is even more massive and even more important than we've made it. Yeah, well, 10% also reflects that there are a lot of people who experience some level of same-sex attraction, but not to the level where they would want to identify with the word like gay or lesbian. And I think even frankly, people who don't experience same-sex attraction at all still have people in their life who identify as gay, still have family and friends who are wrestling with these issues. So, you know, it's really personal for all of us in one way or another. So in your fantastic and, at this point, somewhat legendary piece on Christianity Today several years back, you described when you first started experiencing attraction to a female classmate, and you said that you wondered if it was okay, you knew church folks would look down on that. But obviously, that's hardly a compelling truth claim if you don't have a faith yourself. Can you take us inside that thought process and what your view on Jesus and faith would have been at that point? Yeah, of course. So I didn't grow up in a Christian household at all. Like we weren't even Christmas and Easter people. But I did grow up in a place in Southern California where there were a lot of churchgoers. Sometimes people don't know that that can happen in California, but it does. <laughs> and I I started I sort of thought of myself as a good kid, but when I started to recognize that gosh, I really was drawn to this particular girl, even before girls in general, just this one girl. You know, I kind of opened up my drawer of moral understanding and rummaged around in it, but I couldn't find anything that would tell me why having a crush on her would be any more harmful than having a crush on a boy. Sure. It really, before the phrase love is love became popular, it was already sort of nesting in my heart. And what was interesting to me is I, I kind of had an understanding that the church 
would frown upon that, even though I had never been mistreated by a church or by a Christian uh, because I was dating girls. So somehow that was strong enough in my mind without having personal experience, which now that I reflect on it is really interesting. Well, it really is. And can I just salute, as someone who appreciates your use of language from reading the book, you used the phrase, I believe, rummaged around in your drawer of moral understanding. That was a beautiful construction. I just want to salute that. <laughs> so cool. Well, it's sometimes what it feels like when you're a teenager making decisions, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's a really good way to describe it. So we fast forward a few years then to your time at Yale University and... Mm-hmm. You have an experience that leads to what you describe as the son of the gospel, basically evaporating your atheism in an instant, which is another powerful phrase. And you become a Christian much to your own surprise. How did God bring you there, Rachel? Well, it's pretty, pretty funny to me. So I had kind of developed my identity around one, my intellectual awesomeness, and two, this girl that I was dating and really my sexuality more broadly. And so what God did in his kindness was he sort of knocked those two pillars right out from underneath me. So one, coming from a tiny public high school, going to a big, important place like Yale, I figured out, ooh, I'm not as intellectually awesome as I thought. (laughs) And two, um, I had a massive breakup with my girlfriend at the time. And you know teenage breakups, they're very dramatic. And so I was kind of having an identity crisis But even in the midst of it, I wasn't thinking, oh, I need to turn to Jesus because I didn't believe in Jesus. And I thought of him sort of as a caricature, someone uninteresting, someone unintelligent. You know, for me, Christians were people who didn't think for themselves. They were stupid bigots. So I wasn't drawn towards that, even in my own time of questioning. But I did happen to be in a class on Western philosophy that spring semester, which is a joke. They call it spring semester, but it's always winter because it's Connecticut. <laughs> and we were sitting there and I was listening to a lecture on Rene Descartes, who's the old dead French guy who invented the phrase, I think, therefore I am. Of course. And from that phrase, you know, he built this whole proof for the existence of God. And I remember sitting there in the audience thinking, this is a really stupid proof for the existence of God. <laughs> which I still think, actually. But while I was sitting there, I thought, hey, what if, there's, what if there's a more convincing proof for God out there somewhere? I was kind of embarrassed to admit it. I didn't actually want to talk about it. So, you know, being a good millennial, I just decided to ask the Internet. You know, so I would fire Google up and type in random religious search terms. And, and over and over again, I kept coming back to reading about Jesus, which was surprising for me. But even as I was reading about him and kind of discovering a character who was more compelling than I initially thought, I also realized, ugh, I think my sexuality, I mean, I want to marry a woman someday. I don't, I don't think that's allowed if you're interested sure. in these types of questions. So the only two people I knew at Yale who identified as Christians were these two girls who were dating each other. And one of them was trained to be a Lutheran minister. So I thought, okay, well, they, clearly they've got to know something, you know? And so I went to them, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's all been a big misunderstanding. That, you know, the Bible actually affirms monogamous same-sex relationships. And when I heard them claim that, I remember feeling excited, like, oh, well, that would be really interesting. That's something I wasn't expecting at all. So they gave me a packet of information, and I took it back to my room, and I was digging through it, and I remember thinking, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Like, the 
the way that that argument was presented really seemed cogent. Uh, it really seemed compelling. But I also thought, you know, maybe I should look at the Bible verses they're claiming to interpret. So I didn't own a Bible, so I was pulling them up, you know, through my search engine. Mm-hmm. And as I was looking, you know, at the verses and back at the interpretation, back and forth, I thought, uh-oh, I don't, I don't actually think these match very well. And it's not, you know, it's not like I was a Bible scholar. Um, it's just the only thing is I'm good at are reading and writing. <laughs> so I eventually realized, nope, I don't, I don't actually think that's what these verses are saying. I think the Bible is actually pretty clear that there's a no to same-sex um, sexual relationships. And so I remember feeling sort of like, that ah, was stupid for me to even have hope. A little while after that, I happened to be in the room of a friend who was a non-practicing Catholic. And she was, you know, rummaging around near her bed, getting stuff in her bag or whatever. And I was standing in her doorway and there was a bookshelf by the left side. And one of my favorite hobbies is to look at people's bookshelves and judge them. And so <laughs> I, was, I was looking at the various titles on her shelf and she had a copy of a book uh, titled Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Now, I wasn't overly familiar with that book. I'd kind of heard of C.S. Lewis. I really wanted to read it, but I was also too embarrassed to ask her for it, so I decided to just steal the book. You know, it's not very big, fits in your bag pretty quickly, and uh, again, I, I have no moral compass, so it didn't really bother me at the time. So I happened to be reading this book between classes one day, because it's easier than my homework, and, you know, it's, I, don't, it, I don't even remember like a particular paragraph or sentence that I was on. But while I was reading it one day, I was just suddenly overwhelmed with not only is there a God in like a generic store brand sense, but the God who exists is holy and perfect, and he made me, and I'm going to owe an account. And this struck absolute fear in me. You know, I, I knew myself. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was arrogant. I was rude. I was sexually immoral. I was reading a stolen book. Like all of the chips were clearly in the guilty category. Mm. But at the same time, God also helped me to understand that part of the reason Jesus had come was to place himself as a barrier between God's wrath and me. And that the only way to be safe was to run towards him, not away from him. And since I was considering that, there was definitely a part of my mind that was like, no way, I don't want to become a Christian. Like, that sounds really lame. Plus, (laughs) I want to marry a woman someday. And I'm sure, I know for a fact I can't if I were to follow this path. At the same time, I couldn't pretend that the gospel wasn't true just because it was inconvenient for my life. Like, that that would have been stupid. So I just sort of closed my eyes and said, okay, God, fine. And then I picked up my, I picked up my stuff and went to class. If you're just tuning in right now, this is the incredible story of Rachel Gilson. She's the author of the just-released book, Born Again, This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next. So this this incredible story of of coming to Jesus there, as time goes on, your faith deepens. You're you're growing in this newfound faith and and really fleshing out what you believe. 
there's this reality that so much of the book talks about that you remained, as you say, like a stubborn puddle. You were still attracted to women. How much of a challenge or, or even maybe a surprise, if that's the right word, was that to discover and to understand? Obviously a very massive question. Well, that's, yeah, frankly, that's really the reason why I wrote the book, because a couple months into my new Christian life, you know, where I'm following the other Christians around like a baby quail, learning what to do, um, I realized, oh, my attraction to women isn't going anywhere. And today it's been 16 years, and my attraction to women hasn't gone anywhere. And so it has been a continual question in my life, um, what, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what do I do with that? And, and one of the very first questions that I had to answer in my life with Jesus was, um, well, I should phrase it this way. I was asking him, why do you say this is wrong? Because I see in, in your Bible that you say no to same-sex lust in relationships. And, you know, I've since learned Greek and Hebrew, and it still says no. But, but what I want to know is why. If you just tell me why, then I will obey with perfect joy and understanding. And where the Lord pressed me was, you know, what is the most important question isn't why am I asking something? What is the most important question is, can you trust me, the one who's asking you? Hmm. And that really formed the foundation for the rest of the questions that I've had to explore in relationship to my discipleship even more broadly than sexuality, um, but particularly in that early time, I, I thought a lot about the Garden of Eden. There's this really interesting scenario where, of course, you remember the Garden of Eden. God gives Adam and Eve just one prohibition. And interestingly, on the face of it, that prohibition isn't even sort of intuitively wrong. Like, we would understand if God said to Adam, don't murder your wife Eve, who's your only friend, right? Because we know. <laughs> I mean, we know murder is wrong, you know? If any listener doesn't know intuitively that murder is wrong, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that, right? right? We kind of get it. Yes. But instead, God says, here's your one rule. Don't eat that tree, or especially don't eat the tree. Don't eat that fruit on the tree in the midst of the garden, um, in the day that you eat it, it's going to die. You're going to die. Okay, even vegans eat fruit. You know what I mean? Like, there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of intuitive reality going on with that. And that's right where the serpent presses Eve. He gets her to use her data. She sees that it's attractive, that it would be delicious, that it would be desirous to make her wise. So on the one hand, she's got data that makes this fruit look really good. The only thing in the other category is God's word. And he says, if you eat it, you're going to die. And for me, that felt so much like the sexuality question. I couldn't figure out on my own data why it would be wrong. But I knew clearly on the other side, I had God's word saying, if you eat this, you're going to die. And Eve and Adam made the choice that um, actually they were going to be God. They were going to decide what was right. And we've all been living downstream with that terrible decision. And so it was a struggle for me to say, in order to obey when I don't understand, the person asking me has to be deeply trustworthy. And so I had to go back again and again. Is he trustworthy? 
it, it turns out even in the garden, our life with God is about faith and not and not about sight. That's so so well said. And the journey to to finding that trust in the book is is an extremely fascinating and really really encouraging journey that you talk about. The question of so much of the book that it's seeking to answer is really, you know, as a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction, is it possible to live a life that's faithful and fulfilling? So again, of course, it's totally fair to ask you to answer that question in two to three minutes like I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it absolutely is possible because where the Spirit of God is, there is life. And so, you know, many of us who experience same-sex attraction and want to follow Christ, um, you know, we're told by the world that it's insane. It's insane not to do what our flesh tells us we want to do. But again and again, I think every person who follows Jesus knows and has experienced that our real selves and our real freedom comes in following the God who loves us, not in following any whim that happens to raise up within, within our own minds and hearts, you know? It's bad news if my desires own me. Because my desires don't care about me. But it's really good news that Jesus owns me because he's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves me. And so whether we are single or whether we are married, he can equip us to say yes to him and no to temptation and to find our joy in obedience. Man, how about that? Some real truth, some real hope today on the road for Faith Radio. Rachel Gilson is with us. The just released book is called Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next. I thought this was really interesting. You've been clear to say that this book is your story, and it's not intended to be weaponized against anyone else or used as a pawn. Can you take us inside that heart and just how important that is to you? Yeah, well, so I think what can happen is when we hear a story that's really compelling, you know, a story that is exciting, that that makes us um, hopeful, uh, sometimes we can just want to laminate it onto other people. So, for example, it is true that one of the things that God has done in my life, he has not taken away my attraction to women, but he has provided me with a husband. And, and my husband and I are happily married. He has given me enough attraction to um, sustain the se- my sexual relationship with my husband. We have a lot of joy together. It's been a really good thing for me. And I think sometimes what can happen is people can look at a story like mine and say, oh, well, then the right answer for every Christian who experiences same-sex attraction is that they should enter into a faithful and godly marriage. Sure. And so, you know, you can either be a same-sex attracted person yourself who says, hey, God, you owe that to me too. Or you could have a son or a daughter or a brother or sister or a friend, and you try to encourage them, hey, I heard this happen for somebody else, so it could happen for you. And part of what I want us to practice as disciples, whether it's with the issue of marriage, maybe it's with the issue of whether God will ever take these desires away, because sometimes he does kind of like sometimes he cures cancer, is the question of, hey, can we be open-handed? We we don't really get to make demands on on what God does in our lives. Our role is to to trust him and be faithful 
and to accept what it is that that he's given to us and that can be that can be troubling right we often look to the right or to the left of the other disciples and say hey that's the thing i want you know <laughs> uh, whether no matter what your attractions are i think all of us can struggle, struggle with that i think it's really important for us um to bear one another's burdens to listen well and also to be able to take up our own burden with joy and with appreciation um, of of the God who gave it to us. You know, at the end of Hebrews 11, famous chapter, there's this whole little scene where it's like, wow, by faith, some people have shut the mouths of lions and received back from the dead their loved ones and triumphed over armies. And others, by faith, were sawn in two and went about weeping in the world. And you're like, oh, goodness, can I be the ones that shut the mouths of lions and not the ones that are sawn in two, you know? Yes. But, but all together, God talks about these people, try, what they experience, they experience by faith, and the world was not worthy of them. And I, I, what I hope for us is that we would be stirred up by the beauty of Jesus Christ to be able to look at, at what he's doing in our lives right now and to say, I, I trust you right here. Like, help me to be faithful right here because you're worth it. Man, you know, the decision to be as upfront as you've been with your story, to write the book and to speak to this topic as openly and with the vulnerability that you have, was that was that at all a tough decision or one that you've really never thought twice about? I think that there are definitely some moments where you think, oh gosh, well now a whole lot of people are going to know some pretty personal things about me. <laughs> But I, you know, I had a good, I have a good friend. Um, I, I told her my story for the first time, you know, around late 2016, and she said, "Hey, I really think you need to pray about how to steward this story." I've been a campus minister for a long time, and and so I've I've used my story in my ministry context, you know, for years. So I'm used to it on a small level. But the Lord really used my friend to say, "I think you have something to offer." that could be a help to a lot of people. And I have to say, one of the things that's been so encouraging to me, even in the early release of the book, but even in some of the articles that I've written in different places, is even how many people uh, have written to me saying how helped they've been and they don't even experience same-sex attraction. You know, I get a lot of emails from you know men my father's age who are straight as a board who are saying, gosh, the things you've shared have helped me understand my own struggle with desire. Mm. I never would have thought. And and so I do think that that, I, I barely feel worthy of being able to have that kind of voice in another Christian's life. So, so really it's felt mostly a joy to be able to offer so far what God's done in my life and hold it out for others and say like, Hey, maybe we can, maybe we can do this all better if we do it together. Mm. Oh man, and it's so true. I mean, the the parallels to so many different areas of our life, our walk of faith are just so clear. And it was a tremendous blessing just to read the book. Once again, it's called Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next. And Rachel Gilson is the author. We do not want to go anywhere before we talk about where to go to pick up a copy of the book and to learn more about your ministry and, and this resource. 
Well, I'm pretty sure you can get it on Amazon, (laughs) 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 which, you know, my, the only thing I've heard is that, um, Whoever reads it should leave an honest review, <laughs> which is, I feel funny saying because I'm, I'm terrible. I never leave reviews of any product. But, you know, my, um, my writings and stuff, you can find me on Twitter. My name is very unoriginal. It's at Rachel Gilson. And I have a website, which is rachelgilson.com. I really I kind of stick to a theme, I guess. But, yeah, you can, you can pick it up on Amazon. Um, you can pick it up from the Good Book Company. That's my, that's my publisher. Um, and I would love to hear from people, you know, how they, how it hits them, how it's, you know, any questions uh, you may have or even complaints, you know, feel free to send them to me. Oh, man. Well, what a treat it's been to talk with you today. Just, I just love the, the storytelling that you have the gift for that and the way that you tell this story, the redemption that is all through it. But the reality of what you continue to face, the road you continue to walk is so very so very much a parallel for all of us and so thank you so much once again for your vulnerability for the courage to tell this story and and for telling it so well my pleasure thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of faith radios on the road for more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes look for on the road when you visit myfaithradio.com Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.